All right, good morning, everybody. This morning, if you'll turn your Bibles to Proverbs 22, we'll do the second half, beginning in verse 17. That's where we'll be, Proverbs 22, verse 17. And we'll pray and we'll get started. Lord, we thank you for the singing we've had and the time we have together in your word. Um, we're excited for it, Lord. It's been a long week and, and uh, the refreshment comes from times with you, and that's why we're here. Lord, as you give us some wisdom um, to help us to either encourage us in our decisions we've already made or to help us with future choices, we thank you for it ahead of time. Um, it's going to be encouraging or convicting or both. We'll take it. Um, we we want to live your way. And so God help us this morning. Pray your Holy Spirit would be our teacher and guide. In Jesus' name, amen. In verse 17, it reads, Incline your ear and hear the words of the wise, and apply your heart to my knowledge. For it is a pleasant thing if you keep them within you. Let them all be fixed upon your lips. From here on out in Proverbs, he'll use two or three verses to get a point across instead of doing that rapid fire one verse at a time thing. So he takes two for this truth. There is a deliberate, intentional, we play a deliberate, intentional part. Um, like this morning, you have to incline your ear. God is always speaking. He's always willing to have those times with us. When we say we don't hear him, when we say we don't feel him close, a lot of times, most of the time, it's us. There's an inclination we need to have, just inclining our ear to him, opening our hearts to him. Um, making plenty of room, not fitting him in, you know. Sometimes quiet times, when they, when they become a law in our life, because quiet times can become a ritual as opposed to a relationship, it can turn into a need to fit this in. I need to get this in under my belt today so that I can say I've had my quiet time, you know. Well, <laughs> we wouldn't do that with anybody else in our lives, a person. Got to fit them in. I gave you my five minutes. I gave you my two minutes. I gave you my 30 seconds with God or my 30 seconds with Jenny, my wife. You know, we wouldn't do that with anybody else. So there's a deliberate part that we play that God calls us to. I'm available, he says, but you need to incline your ear. And then you need to apply your heart. It's one thing to listen. It's a whole other thing to receive and do, as James has been telling us on Wednesday nights. I'm glad that you're in a Bible study. I'm glad you're here on Sunday morning. I'm glad we're worshiping together. But his word is going out. We're inclining our ear. And the next step to make it valid is that we apply it. We use it. It's a pleasant thing to do them. I was, you know, as I was praying, I was thinking about conviction we're going to have or encouragement. Like, hey, I do that already. I don't have to add that to my list of things to change in my life. Or we're going to feel bad and say, oh, boy. That's a big area that I need to work on. It's important to remember this part. It's a pleasant thing. God's commandments are not burdensome. And when he tells us to do something or encourage us to go in a different direction, it's always going to be better than the direction we're going. Always. With, without fail. It will always be better. And so he's simply telling them, hey, incline and apply. and It's going to be a pleasant thing. And make sure that these things are fixed upon your lips. 
Let those be the things that come off of your mouth. Don't blend it with the other stuff of the world. When someone asks you for the reason that hope, you know, for the hope which lies within you, have that fixed on your lips, ready to give that answer. It needs to be our our default as Christians, God's word, his blessings, uh, talking about him openly and freely, not, not feeling out the room first before we begin to mention the name of Jesus to see how it'll be received. It needs to be fixed on our lips. Everybody's going to know right away where you stand, you know, and we're not ashamed. In Joshua chapter 24, verse 23 Now, therefore, he said, put away the foreign gods which are among you and incline your heart to the Lord God of Israel. I only use that verse, not because you all have foreign gods that need to go. Maybe you do. Probably don't. But it shows us the contrast is the point. To not incline your ear is to definitely open yourself up to the foreign gods. To open yourself up to other leadership in your life. So to incline your ears, to purposely put those things out of your life and to bring in the Lord. Lean in and listen is what I wrote down for myself. Lean in and listen. Sometimes I have to do that. Sometimes someone was talking to me and I I didn't hear a word of it. I was looking right at their lips, but I didn't hear a thing. And I don't mean to do that, but I've got my mind going in so many directions. You know what I'm talking about. You have to sit down and go, Oh, now what did you say? Now that didn't help. The three inches that I leaned in is not going to help me here any better. But the position of my body kind of helps me go, okay, okay, Mike, I'm focused. Okay, I'm really, tell me, what did you see? Oh, yeah, you're there. See, I lean in and listen to God to be deliberate about it. That helps. What you know about God is the most valuable information you can retain for use in every aspect of your life. Verse 19, so that you, so that your trust may not be in the Lord, or I'm sorry, so that your trust may be in the Lord, I have instructed you today, even you. Have I not written to you excellent things of counsels and knowledge that I may make you know the certainty of the words of truth, that you may answer words of truth to those who send you or send to you? Somebody's going to ask you questions. Most of us hope unless you know the answers, unless you're mature in the faith, hope that nobody asks you any questions about Jesus because you're not sure, you know. I've been there. I know what that's like. I'm not so nervous about that anymore. If a guy on a plane leans over and says, what do you think about Jesus? Well, you better buckle up, buddy, you know. (laughs) Seatbelt sign or no, I can do that now. I tell you what, though, first 10 years of my walk with Jesus, oh, boy. I don't know what I'm going to say. I don't know how I'm going to say it. I don't know if I'm going to use the right words or remember the right scriptures. It was nerve-wracking to think of that. When my pastor would say, hey, do you want to teach for me? No, I don't. Yes, I do. No, you know, you struggle with that. To know, to have the certainty of the words, that comes from experience. It really does. If you live a life collecting Bible studies but really aren't changing from the inside out and you've never really applied them to your life, I mean, most of us do, but I mean with intense vigor. You don't have the experience of your faith in Jesus and your faith in his word showing up in your life and proving itself is is the key. 
I've lived long enough and I've walked with Jesus long enough and I've walked by faith long enough to know for certain that his word works and is alive. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It's able to convict. It's also able to change lives. And it is the only thing that will change lives. There is no other option because I've tried all of it and it doesn't work. God's word functions. It works. And that's what he's saying. I'm teaching you these things, son, not to have father-to-son wisdom being bestowed upon you. The wisdom I have is the Lord's wisdom, and that's what I'm giving you. And I think as parents, we need to take note of that. We have experience as men and women who've lived a life of decades. You know, I don't know how many decades you've lived, but you've got some experience under your belt. And it's important to share that wisdom. But it has to be mixed with and proven by God's wisdom. I never want to mix in some things I've done on my own that worked out and some things that God has led me to do. The fact that these things that I did happen to work out, I probably need to look at them a little more closely to see if they really worked out the way God wanted them to, you know. And so this father is trying to say, so that your trust may be in the Lord. That's why I've instructed you today, even you. I've written to you excellent things. I put it in a book so you can refer back to these things. I took the notes for you is what he's saying. That you may know the certainty. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. All of those ingredients need to be there for it to be an effective time with someone else. I have to have that meekness and fear if anything I say is going to be received. Meekness is not... Uh, milk toast, spineless, it's power under control. It's power with humility mixed in. Christ is the perfect example of meekness. Had all authority, all power, but walked humbly and washed feet. He could be received. And I need to be ready, in season and out of season. <laughs> Always be ready. That's a hard thing. I don't want to ever be caught off guard. That's the main reason for quiet times in the morning is so that your heart is at least thinking about starting off with spiritual things. In case at 8.30 when you show up to work or 8.30 when you see the next person in your life other than your own feet, you're prepared to meet soul to soul and talk about the spiritual things of life and not fall into a, well, a carnal conversation, you know. So you set the Lord, that's what sanctify means, to set the Lord apart. You sanctify the Lord, sanctify the Lord God in your heart. That's who rules and reigns. He is. My heart is his. And I'm always ready to give a defense to everyone who asks. And are you? I guess that's a simple question you ask yourself. If someone was to walk up to you today, wherever you go, Walmart, Hy-Vee, I'm trying to think of places other than shopping. I can't think of any other restaurant, maybe your waitress or waiter or whatever. And they look like they're having a bad day. Can you give a defense for why you have joy? Why you have assurance of salvation? Everybody in this room needs to be able to do that. If you don't, work it out. Figure it out. Learn. Think about what you're going to say. Think about some scriptures you'd take them to. Write them down. That's why you've got some blank spots in your Bible, you know? I, I do that myself. Do, do that, you know? 
So you can go to a quick reference. Oh, you know, I can't think of it off the top of my head, but I did write down, you know, five steps that I think will help me remember, you know. Let me grab my Bible. It's in my car. Keep your Bible in your car. Get two Bibles. Put one in your glove box or your whatever that is, center console, you know. Set it on your dash if you want to, but have the Word of God handy, readily available, you know. You don't have to have it all memorized. I mean, it's good to have a few, but... And then you've got your cheat notes in there you can take people to because you don't know. And so he tells them that's a wise thing to do. Now, um, let's go to verse 22 here. This is a, a little tougher section, 22 and 23. Do not rob the poor because he is poor or oppress the afflicted at the gate. For the Lord will plead their cause and plunder their soul of those who plunder them. It's embarrassing that that would have to be taught in a church, but it obviously does. He's sharing it with his son because as human beings, maybe this can become a gray area for us. And he wants to make sure that it isn't. That everything we do should be glorifying to the Lord. Everything we do should be glorifying to the Lord, no matter what area of our life. He is not to be compartmentalized in our life. Our walk isn't with Jesus. It's to be in every aspect of our lives, in our marriages, in the raising of our kids, in our business affairs, in our workplace, all of it. He's never to be. Now, the world would say otherwise. You know, uh, that's, that's for there. This is for here, whatever that may be. And the Christian is not called to that. We are called to take Christ wherever we go. And so this is the thing. He's concerned about those who would rob the poor and oppress the afflicted. Now, who would do that? Well, money becomes a very big issue for people. And people are willing to compromise a lot of things for money. Um, It's one of the biggest teachings in Scripture. Next to hell, money is the second most talked about subject. Money. And it isn't money that's the problem, it's the love of money. We know that. And that love of money can cause us to compromise and not see people in their current condition, whether they're poor or whether they're vulnerable to being afflicted or oppressed. And if we see opportunity, that's what we would call it. We take that opportunity. And we're not called to that as Christians. The world will. The world will, but we want to be different from the world. So we're going to spend some time here. We'll get to verse 23 and what he does to the person who plunders, but we'll start here. Psalm 68.5. A father to the fatherless, a defender of widows, is God in his holy habitation. The vulnerable and the weak among us are not alone. They may be in a a horrible situation, and we could even ask the question, how come then he doesn't do something about it? Well, I don't know the answer to that, except that I know that when I come across them, God's given me specific instructions as to what to do, and it is not to rob them or oppress them, because he considers them his, and he watches that. James chapter 1, verse 27, we've already taught this on Wednesday nights. Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. 
If as a businessman I come across a vulnerable person, my job is not to exploit that vulnerability, it is to help them. To help them not become a victim. Because the world will devour them, but the Christian is not to devour them and take advantage. And so God says, hey, just in case you're wondering, I'm their father, Psalm 68, but in James 1, I expect you to be like me in their lives. And so we need to watch for that. Malachi 3.5 is a little rough. (laughs) The prophet says to the nation of Israel, I will come near you for judgment. I will be a swift witness against sorcerers, against adulterers, against perjurers, and against those who exploit wage earners and widows and orphans. He lumps that in with the others, just in case we have some sort of categorizing in our head. Well, the... Those are the adulterers over there. They've got their own section in hell, and they've got those. And then there's the white sins, the little sins over here. You know, took advantage of that guy, but, you know, someone was going to do it. Someone's going to make money off him. It may as well have been me. He lumps this in. And against those who turn away an alien because they do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. When I see a vulnerable person, I'm to have great fear. Because God is in their presence. And how I treat them, and how I help them or don't help them, God is a witness to it. Now, I wrote down for myself here, you will pay the price, because this goes with verse 23. We know we're not supposed to rob and oppress. You will pay the price for robbing and plundering, which is spoken of in verse 22. It comes in the form of a nightmarish soul torture. Make things right or you'll have no rest. Verse 23 says this, the Lord will plead their cause and plunder the soul of those who plunder them. It may not show up in the fact that the business deal goes south and you don't make as much. That money may be well in the bank and be making compound interest. Good for you. God's, that's not where he attacks. That's not where he brings his vengeance. It comes in the torturing of the soul. You won't have peace ever. It will haunt you. The nightmares will continue. The sleeplessness. He will not leave you alone. He will pester you and push you and make sure you're never comfortable again until you get that right. So many people try to push it out of their heads, get past it. Maybe time will help. God doesn't forget those things. He loves those widows. He loves those orphans. He loves those that are vulnerable. If you want to get right with God, that's the point. Get right with him quickly and make it right. It isn't enough to say, God, forgive me for doing that to that one person. You can ask for that as soon as you make it right with that one person. You need to go make it right first. If you've oppressed somebody, if you've robbed somebody, if you've taken advantage of someone's vulnerability, make it right. Then ask for forgiveness. He's warning his son here. When you do this, God will not leave you alone. Verse 24. Make no friendship with an angry man, and with a furious man do not go, lest you learn his ways and set a snare for your soul. In 1 Corinthians 15, 33-34, Do not be deceived. 
Evil company corrupts good habits. Our moms were right. (laughs) Awake to righteousness and do not sin, for some do not have the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. He's telling the church, be careful. When Jesus ate with sinners and tax collectors, it was for the purpose of change, to make them former sinners, to make them former tax collectors or robbers or plunderers. It was not to endorse anything they were doing. If I begin to not affect those people and begin to be affected by those people, that's the, that's the snare for my soul. I thought it was okay. I thought it was there for ministry, but I find myself being less Christian and more worldly as opposed to them being less worldly and more Christian. I seem to be pulling down, being pulled down, as opposed to pulling them up. We need to watch for that. It's a snare. The Corinthian church was falling into that. The Corinthian church had begun to accept sin as a lifestyle, as okay, as stay the same. That's the big controversy right now, and I I try to avoid it as much as possible, not because I want to avoid controversy, but because it's been overdone. The Super Bowl commercials and the washing of the feet and all that. And so I just quietly put up our own video. If you go to our Facebook page, you'll see it. Because God does wash feet. Jesus did wash the feet of Judas and everybody there. That, that's not the point, which I think a lot of people focus on. I saw a lot of really inappropriate comments from Christians that didn't really didn't really even, they exposed themselves more than they exposed the commercial, unfortunately. No, the point was it didn't take the next step. He washed the feet so that they could learn and see what it looked like to be a servant of all and, and to be humble and to be broken before the Lord and that there's a repentance that takes place. And, you know, they left all that part out. And it gave the impression of he just leaves us the way we are. And that was the Corinthian church problem. problem. And it will be the church's problem in the last days. That's why the brouhaha over the commercial. That's a Corinthian church commercial. We, We want you to come to church. We don't expect any change. That's the exact opposite. To come to the cross... We sang songs about it this morning. What was the purpose of the cross? The purpose of the cross was to die in place of people that sinned, which is you and me. If what I do isn't a punishable offense as sin, then the cross of Christ has made no effect. There was no purpose for it. And it causes us to say, why do I need Jesus? What is the purpose? What is the point? Why should I accept forgiveness for sins when the sins have already been accepted? That's the problem with the commercial. When I am around angry and furious people, it is very difficult for us, especially if it's a noble, in, in a sense, not noble, but they may be right. I can become an angry and furious person too. 
And although Christ did become angry and furious a couple times in scriptures, it was rare. And it was for a specific purpose. And it was for and out of a love for an oppressed person. And we saw that, you know, as we just read, don't oppress. He saw the Gentiles who wanted to come and worship and pray in the outer courts being pushed out and unable to do what God had commanded and allowed them to do because the money changers were in the way. And so he would whip and tipped over those money changers' tables and their rear ends. Anger and fury. Followed by, though, the death of the cross for everybody in that court. And we need to remember that. I don't want to just stomp my feet and fume. If there's a purpose for stomping your feeding and feet feeding feet and fuming, then there needs to be some action. I'm a little bit done with the whole when is the Christian gonna wake up? Okay, let's suppose I'm asleep and you just woke me up. Now what? Was that the purpose? Was your rage and indignation is that your act? To change things? I'm waking everybody up. Mission accomplished. I'm sitting down now. No, what did you do? What do we do now? Did you lead anybody to the Lord this week? Did you tell anybody about Jesus, the coming of Christ, the kingdom that's coming? The Antichrist is coming and rising. Did you tell people how to avoid it and save? Or did you just toot your horn and wake everybody up? And now they're all walking around awake. But now what? What's the point? I wish everybody just wake up. Okay, what are you doing with your awakenedness? I'm sitting around telling everybody wake up. Nope. Nope, that's a cop out. That's lazy. If we believe Jesus is coming and that hell is real and that sinners go to hell and Jesus is the only way of salvation... If we believe that, as James told us on Wednesday, we'd be doing something about it. We'd be telling people about their way of escape, the only way of escape, Jesus Christ. Angry and furious people lure others into their hell, a life devoid of peace, joy, patience, kindness, and gentleness. That's why the father's telling his son to watch out for that and to be careful of that. You will spend your entire life bitter, angry, frustrated. When God has given us victory, the fruit of the Spirit isn't those things. The fruit of the Spirit is love, calls us to action, gives a hope. And we share that hope with those around us who are stuck in that cycle of stomping feet and frustration and rage. And we share You can come out of that. You can live a life of beauty and fruit, even now. Worshippers. Verse 26. Do not be one of those who shakes hands in a pledge, one of those who is surety for debts. If you have anything, if you have nothing, excuse me, with which to pay, why should he take away your bed from under you? I have nothing to add to that. (laughs) Just don't. It's which wisdom. Verse 28, do we remove the ancient or do not remove the ancient landmark which your fathers 
have set. The boundaries God has set for you, trust his markers overall is what I wrote. It's one verse. Do not remove the ancient landmark which your fathers have set. Now, is he just talking about, you know, survey lines? Possibly. Be pretty hard to convince someone in the nation of Israel to move the corners of Israel's boundary markers in or out or whatever. Don't, don't move those. I think it's more spiritual than anything that he's talking about here. Be careful. Sometimes I'll, I'll go down these gravel roads, and, and I'm sure there are more ancient landmarks than I've found, but I've seen the big white stone carved pillars, you know, that are a part of the fence line, you know. Neat. They're kind of neat. They're a, little, they're a little wonky, but boy, their base is still in the same spot. It's the top that's kind of a little crooked, but their base is stable. I've taken some pictures of them. I couldn't find them for you, but they're kind of neat. Ancient landmarks, as far as I'm concerned. I've, I haven't seen those before. God has given us boundaries. There are two kinds of boundaries that he's given us. I didn't mean to do that, too. There are general, overall, everybody included boundaries in Scripture, and then there are personal boundaries, both. I'll try to cover both of those here. In Genesis 2, 16 through 17, this would be an overall. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, of every tree of the garden, you may freely eat. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat it or eat of it, you shall surely die. That was a general boundary for the entire population too to pay attention to. I've placed, placed a boundary around this, left it wide open. In, uh, in your homes and in your properties and on your lands, you have survey lines. Everybody knows that. You've got pins in the ground for now, I think. Most of them have all been redone by GPS. Some of them haven't. But for the most part, we've got a pretty good record that no matter what happens to that pin, you can't get by with moving your marker you know, three inches into your neighbor's yard every year. You know, They'll just resurvey it and move the pin back to where it was and, and call you out on it. Um. And without the fences, you really wouldn't know, right? But with the fences, we know, right? And you've got signs on there that say, do not trespass, which is where we get our word, trespass. For Christians, we have general boundaries uh, to avoid and to stay away from or stay within. And to go beyond those boundaries is to trespass into areas we're not allowed, into areas we're not authorized to go into. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. We're called to stay within the bounds of God's word. Those are general. Psalm 23.3, the wonderful psalm that we you know, say at funerals and all, the shepherd psalm. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. God will give us waypoints in our life. I want you to follow me through this. It is a valley of death. It is a dark place. But if you're following me and you step in my footsteps, we're going to be just fine. He leads us in paths of righteousness through those tough things, through those tough areas. We don't have to blaze a trail. We just have to follow him. Boundaries, waypoints. Psalm 119.105. We know this. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. He's got places we can travel and places we can't. The word tells us where we can travel. The word tells us when we're off that path. Now, 
There is a debate in the church. Oh, imagine that. That there is no fresh or new revelation. It's been coming up a lot in my feed. I have no idea why. Someone I know must be looking it up. (laughs) Whoever you are. Let me help you with that. Do you believe in a person's calling? Someone who has a calling upon their life. That's new revelation. That's something beyond scripture, isn't it? That's something the Holy Spirit leans in and tells somebody, I'm calling you to do this. I'm giving you this gift. I want you to go that way. This church is a new revelation. We don't go beyond what's written. Any new revelation should be within God's word, within the bounds of God's word. We're not allowed to go outside those bounds. But we do get fresh revelation from God, individualistic for yourself. It's biblical. It's scriptural. If I'm called to be a pastor or teacher, that's new revelation. I didn't know it before. God's word doesn't say, oh, you know, there it is, the book of J.D. No, it's by the Holy Spirit. He leads and calls me out. That's why I'm here. It's the only reason I'm here in Maryville, Missouri. God told me this is where you need to go and this is what you're supposed to do. That's fresh revelation. That's new. Now, is there new revelation for the world coming through you? No. No. There isn't. In these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, Jesus Christ. His word is completed. We don't get to add any more books to it. Revelation is the end. We don't get to put an addendum on it, you know, which many people have tried to do. So I understand the hesitancy to say, I think there's fresh revelation. No, not for the world and not for everybody in Christendom. But for you, yeah, you should be led by the Spirit. He says so in Romans chapter 14, verses 4 through 6. Look at this. Who are you to judge another servant? To his own master he stands or falls. Indeed, he will be made to stand, for God is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day above another, another esteems every day alike. Let each be fully convinced in his own mind. He who observes the day observes it to the Lord. He who does not observe the day, to the Lord he does not observe it. He who eats, eats to the Lord. He who gives God thanks. He who does not eat, to the Lord he does not eat and gives God thanks. There's two different kinds of folks in this. He's showing a, a, these, both these people can worship God at the same time, with the same intensity, with the same heart, with the same love, with the same grace and mercy and forgiveness that the others received. One feels they can't eat this. One feels they must serve on this day. Others don't. When it comes to your individual thing within the bounds of Scripture, I don't I'll qualify that all day long. I don't get to go beyond it and say, God says it's okay for me to be this when he's clearly called this an abomination. No, I don't get to say that. But if I say, I think I want to worship on Sundays, that's okay. That's okay. I can't put that on anybody else though. See, one man seems one day above the others. Another man esteems every day alike. Every day is Sunday for me. I'm in a perpetual state of a day of rest because Christ is my rest, as Hebrews tells us. Others just don't feel right. What do you mean? You're mowing the lawn on Sunday. It's the Lord's day. But Monday's the Lord's day for me too. And Tuesday's the Lord's day for me. And so my grass is going to get along, you know? 
Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 13. These are individual callings upon people's lives. And he himself, Jesus, gave some to be apostles, not all. Some prophets, some evangelists. Can you imagine me? Hey, JD, you know, Greg Laurie says, I'm busy. A harvest crusade's taking place in San Diego. Do you mind filling in? <laughs> Are you kidding me? Nobody come down the aisle unless God just did it and I just stood there quietly. But if I said something, I do not have the gift of evangelism. I just don't. If people get saved, wonderful. Something happened. It had to be the Holy Spirit. I don't have that gift. Some people have that gift. They're made for it. Billy Graham, wonderful evangelist. Greg Laurie, wonderful evangelist. And many others. I don't mean that those are the two I know the, the best. Some pastors and teachers, not everybody's called to that. Some people are. For the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, or for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. And this takes place, these gifts are still in force today, till we all come to the unity of the faith and the, of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a, a perfect man, to the measure and the stature of the fullness of Christ. Well, we ain't there yet, so they're still in force. But that's what they're here for. That'll happen when Christ comes back for us, and everything we lack will be made up at that time. So I bring this up, and not to make a bigger deal out of it than it is, but there are ancient landmarks which your fathers have set up, and we're not to move those. Stay within those bounds. A lot of people ask me to go beyond my personal boundaries that God has given me. And I don't feel comfortable doing that. I almost feel like I'm in rebellion against God. But why don't you go do that? Because... I, I really think these are the boundaries he set for my life and for my family. This is where we're going to be. Oh, we need to do this, that, or the other. Well, then you do it. I don't believe that God's going to speak to you to tell me to do something. He can tell me himself is the idea. We have those boundaries that God sets up. And those are important to honor. To the Lord, we honor those boundaries. Don't move them. Don't move them for anybody. There's some things that people are free to do as Christians that I'm not free to do. I don't feel comfortable at all. I feel like my conscience bothers me if I do those things. Other people can. I can't. And you may have those things. Now, here's what I don't want to do is put those on other people because those are my personal boundaries that God's given me to stay within, areas that are dangerous for me, areas that are of, make me vulnerable to Satan and open to him and his, to his attacks. So I honor that. And we need to do that. Um, finally, our last verse, uh, 29. Do you see a man who excels in his work? He will stand before kings. He will not stand before unknown men. We should always strive for excellence in all that we do. Always. You may not be able to look like this person or that person, or our church may not be like that church or this church, but we will strive for the excellence that we can within the limits that God's placed upon us. We do our best. I think that's important to do in everything. I think if you play a, an instrument, you should play it with excellence, not just getting by. I think our worship team is probably the greatest example for me to give this morning on that. They strive for excellence. Well, they ain't no, you know, Hillsong, or they ain't no whoever it is that you like. No, 
but they're people that have lives and jobs and work, don't get paid, and yet they come 5 o'clock, 5.30 in the morning, get the church set up, practice, strive, practice at home, learn their parts, get their songs, find their, trans, you got to transpose this, you got to, they do all of that. And they do it to the best of their ability. They strive for excellence in all that they do. All of us should be doing that. We want to excel. I want to excel at Bible studies. I, I'm, I know there are better people out there. Um, and, I, and I strive for that. I strive for that goal. Sandy Adams is an amazing Bible teacher. Very organized. Very, I've never heard a bad study from him. I'd never hear his words overused, you know, overexplain, <laughs> say the same thing 12 times like I just did there three times. You know what I mean? Clear, concise, nice message, excellence. A wonderful example of that. And many others. We should all be striving for that, to be an excellent husband, to be an excellent wife, to be an excellent son or daughter, to be an excellent employer, to be an excellent employee, to be a wonderful musician, to be a wonderful expositor of God's word. Whatever it may be, excellence is to be strived for. We don't want to just get by. And that's where we close this morning. This, tomorrow we'll pick, or Sunday we'll pick up on verse 1 of chapter 23. And you can read ahead. Let God speak to your heart ahead of time before we get into that section of Scripture. And then when it's taught, you'd be like, oh yeah, just that's what I got, or that's what I picked up. It's, it's good to do. So let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for your encouragement in it and the wisdom that you've provided for us. Um, help us to be now doers of it. We've heard, we've received, we've inclined our ear. Help us to apply it to our hearts now and let it be fixed upon our lips, Lord. And thank you for this time this morning with each other and with you and that your Holy Spirit has been here and very present. And we pray that you keep these things in our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you need prayer before you go, please come up. Be glad to pray with you. Otherwise, have a good rest of the week.